0: This book. Our vision here at City Church is to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. And in the Gospel of Mark, we are able to get a snapshot of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Hopefully, we've been able to become more acquainted with the Jesus of the Bible as we've journeyed through this book, as we've highlighted and magnified who he is and what he does. And throughout, the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus in action. We see Jesus in action, helping people, serving people as the servant king. And that's what we've titled this series. Because Jesus came as the King, preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching the kingdom of God, and calling people to prepare the way, calling people to repent and and, and, and turn from their sins. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus um, before he came on the scene preaching. Uh, But he also Jesus also came as a servant as mark 10 45 says he came to not to be served But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Okay, and so we are uh, in the part of the gospel leading up to the crucifixion of jesus the passion of jesus Jesus is uh, suffering in his death for the sin of the world to to serve humanity by giving his life as the ultimate sacrifice for sinners like you and I. We see Jesus in action, healing people and meeting very practical needs, feeding and delivering from illnesses and demonic oppression. But ultimately, we see Jesus saving us from our sins, meeting the deepest, greatest need in humanity to anyone who come to him. And trust in him so the last couple of weeks we've looked at mark chapter 12 where jesus is encountered by scribes and pharisees and sadducees the religious leaders have an agenda to trap jesus to to catch jesus to get him uh, to slip up in his words and they can't quite get him to slip up jesus is asked teacher is it lawful to pay taxes the caesar and Jesus answered very skillfully and wisely and didn't slip up in that response. And he said that, uh, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's. Um, another group, the, the Sadducees, came and they had a question about the resurrection. And, and this guy who, uh, this this lady who's married to, um, has her husbands die and she marries brothers. And, and the question is, who's Whose uh, wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus corrects these religious leaders for, for being ignorant of the scriptures and of the power of God. Another scribe we looked at last week came up to Jesus and asked him. Uh, and with And it didn't seem that he approached Jesus with malicious intent. But he asked him, which is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus summed it up with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus has been under interrogation. Jesus has been questioned. Now it's Jesus' turn to present a question to the religious community. A question that confounds the theologians of his day. And the people sit and watch and listen gladly to see Jesus in action doing what he does best. Amen? And so, this morning I have titled this sermon, The Lord, the Discerner of Hearts. The Lord, the Discerner of Hearts. We're going to look at three sections here at the end of Mark chapter 12, and we're going to look at how Jesus highlights the identity of the Messiah and the victorious reign of the Messiah, but also how he discerns and condemns the, the religious Hypocrites of his day. And he commends this poor widow who offers a sacrifice to God that is pleasing in his eyes. The Lord is the discerner of hearts. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12 verse 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple. He said how can the scribes say that the Christ. The son of David. How how can the. Excuse me. Verse 35. And Jesus taught in the temple, and he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. I love that last little phrase there. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive greater condemnation. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to them And said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Here's our big idea this morning: Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and in His divine authority, He condemned the pretense and pride of religious leaders, yet commended the authentic offering and devotion of a poor widow. I'll read it again. Jesus is Lord and Messiah and in his divine authority, he condemned the pretense and pride of religious leaders, yet commended the authentic offering and devotion of a poor widow. And so let's look at the first thing that Jesus taught here in this in verses 35 through 37. Jesus taught that the Messiah was both divine and human. He thought that the Messiah was both divine and human. He started with the question to the, uh, uh, re, re, toward the scribes, how can the scribes say that the Christ or Messiah is the son of David? Okay. Now, we've seen this term son of David not too long ago when we were reading about blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming by. He had no doubt heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. Jesus had been healing people. And Blind Bartimaeus cried out, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so he's shouting that the crowd tried to quiet him down. And he began to shout even louder, crying out to Jesus the son of David. This was a term that, that, that described the Messiah. It was, it was believed by, by the Jews that the Messiah, and the scriptures teach this, that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. He would be a descendant of King David. So there was no disagreement about that reality that the scriptures taught that. That the Messiah would be human and that he would come through the lineage of David. Now what was new for the religious leaders of their day, of this day, was that the Messiah would not only be human, but that he would be divine. Okay? And Jesus points, he uses the scriptures to point to this reality. He quotes Psalm 110. By the way, side note, the New Testament quotes the book of psalms more than any other old testament book. Okay? The new testament quotes the book of psalms more than any other old testament book, and this particular psalm, psalm 110, is the most quoted psalm in the new testament. And it is a messianic psalm, a psalm that points to the Messiah and the victorious reign of The Messiah. And so Jesus affirms, by the way, when he says this, he affirms the authority and the inspiration of Holy Scripture. He says that the Psalms were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That David wrote what he wrote. And as Christians, we believe this about the entire Bible. Old and New Testament, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3. That all Scripture is God-breathed. Peter said this something like this as well that that scripture was uh inspired the holy spirit moved upon holy men okay and, and so we believe that both the bible is both a human book yet divinely inspired and and we believe this about Jesus that he came as both fully man and fully god okay now this stumped the religious of his day. He he asked this profound question, a conundrum, a difficult question. He said the, the he said, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to Adonai, Sit at my right hand until your enemies, until I put your enemies under your foot, under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? How is it that David is, or that, that the Messiah is David's son and is, is human and comes under David's lineage as a human? If David is saying, the Lord said to my Lord, referring to the Messiah. Okay? So he presented them with a really challenging question. He hit these guys in their their strength of their expertise. These guys who came to Jesus with these difficult theological questions. These trained, learned scribes and Pharisees. Whose job was to interpret the Bible and teach the Bible. And Jesus met them on their turf with a knockout punch, if you will. Uh, of a theological question he confounded the theologians with a conundrum okay i use the the emoji of the the mind blowing (sighs) try to wrap your mind around this how could the messiah be david's son and yet his lord how can he be human yet divine Theologian Don Carson says that the teacher who never attended the right schools confounds the greatest theologians in the land. Another theologian, Bailey, says that only through the virgin birth does Jesus possess the dual nature that allows him to be both David's son and David's Lord. You see, this is the mystery, saints, That we remember and celebrate every year at Christmas time. We ponder the greatness of the virgin birth. that The the reality that God became flesh. That Jesus took on flesh. He became a man. He humbled himself and he stepped down into this broken, sin-sick world. To bring the rescue that you and I need. Many people stumble at this profound theological truth, but it's necessary for real Christianity. It's essential, it's important that we accept the Jesus of the Bible for who he is. There are many cults who want to accept Jesus as something other than divine. But as Christians, we embrace the divinity of Jesus and we embrace the humanity of Jesus. He is the Messiah, and he is Lord, and He took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus highlighted the identity of the Messiah, in quoting Psalm 110 uh, one theologian says that that Jesus comes closer to revealing his identity than anywhere else, okay? So publicly, like, remember, throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is really discreet about the message of his Messiahship getting out to everybody. Because that would mean that the cross would come shortly after that. Okay? Or, or some kind of revolt. Or, or the crowds would try to take him by force and make him king. Here's the Messiah, let's make him king. Right? And so Jesus kept in step with his father's timetable okay and he wasn't going to let any human agenda dictate the father's will for his life and some another theologian says that in psalm 10 verse 1 uh it showed that the messiah was not only David's junior in age but also his senior in rank he is the son of god god as well as man because although he is son by descent Therefore, he's junior in age. He is also, in some mysterious way, superior to David and therefore senior in rank. And so Jesus highlighted the identity of the Messiah from Psalm 110, but he also highlighted the victorious reign of the Messiah in Psalm 110. David said, in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. You see, this points to the victorious reign of the king of kings, the kingdom of God coming. Okay, this is what the Jews were waiting for. This is what they were waiting to see. They wanted to see what the Bible describes as the second coming of Jesus, Revelation 19. They wanted to see him come back and bring judgment and And bring deliverance, and yet the kingdom came in a way that many did not discern. The Messiah came in a way in in in, in 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 a way that many did not discern it's 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 ironic that this blind man, Bartimaeus, is able to see the identity of Jesus better than many who have twenty twenty vision and theological training. He cried out. Jesus son of David have mercy on me and we each need the help of the spirit to open our blind spiritual eyes so that we may see who Jesus is and respond to his divine authority Jesus highlighted the victorious reign the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until your enemies until i put your enemies under your feet this Should give us confidence, saints. This should give us confidence in the face of terrorism, tyrants, emperors, world powers, and world leaders who come against Jesus and His anointed. This is what gave the early church confidence in the face of threats and opposition and persecution. They prayed. In Psalm chapter in Acts chapter four, they prayed from Psalm chapter two. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot vain things? The Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs, and he goes on to describe his reign dashing and breaking the strongholds of evil and evil rulers in Psalm chapter two. And so as we look at everything that's going on in the world in these last days in which we are living in, look at it through the lens that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord reigns and his kingdom is everlasting and you and I, saints, belong to that unshakable kingdom so when everything around us is being shaken, we remain in God's kingdom which can't be shaken. Amen? And so let us be confident and let us be courageous in view that the Lord reigns and that He will conquer every enemy that opposes Him and His people. Remember the words that Jesus audibly spoke to Saul who became the Apostle Paul as he was persecuting christians he knocked him off his horse with a thundering voice and said saul saul why are you persecuting me and saul's response was who are you lord i'm jesus whom you're persecuting you see jesus equated how saul was treating his people as treating jesus as such So take comfort, saints, that you belong to God, body, soul, and spirit. You belong to him, and he cares for his own, and he will soon crush Satan under his feet. And every enemy that opposes him will fall. Every kingdom that opposes his kingdom will fall, and his kingdom will remain. And so let us see the world from this lens, from this view of God's sovereignty. Next week, we're going to look at, Lord willing, Mark chapter 13. And Jesus is going to go in and talk about the signs of the end times. And many people get rattled and afraid and shaken and, and, and anxious when they read passages like that. And read, when they, a lot of folks stay away from the book of Revelation because they don't want to get rattled and, and scared. Or, or the book of Daniel, reading about end time prophecy. But here's something to remember as we look at those passages. This is what they highlight in those passages. The Lord reigns. The Lord is sovereign over all. Okay, So we look at it through those lens. Yeah, things are going to get bad. Yeah, things are bad now in the world. But God's sovereign and they're not going to stay like things are not going to stay like this forever. okay? And so we have hope. We have confidence. We have comfort. Because the victorious reign of Messiah. Will overcome. Eugene Peterson says this that to the first century Christian every line in the psalm was fulfilled in Jesus God's Christ. As a result no psalm was more frequently quoted. In the very history in which the world supposed that it saw the defeat of God, the Christian faith realized God's majestic rule in the resurrection. At that moment of Jesus' crucifixion, it may have appeared to many that Jesus was a failure and a farce. But he didn't stay in that grave. He rose up out of the grave and he has conquered The grave. He's conquered death. He has paid for our sins. And He has disarmed principalities and powers, Colossians 2 tells us. His victorious reign will not be thwarted. Next, let's look at how Jesus condemned the pretense and the pride of the religious leaders, starting in verse 38. These were the guys who opposed the king of kings. These are the guys, as we looked at several weeks ago, who rejected the divine authority of Jesus. They were questioning, by whose authority are you doing these things? Jesus comes in and he flips the tables. He's angry. He's angry by the corruption that has Filled the religious realm and that has become a stumbling block to outsiders who are genuinely hungry for God and so he goes into the temple and it's more about business than it is about prayer and the glory of God and helping people connect with God and so they asked him by what authority, whose authority are you doing these things? they rejected his authority and we see several clashes with Jesus and the religious leaders. And now Jesus is explicitly calling them out. He's calling them out for their pretense, their hypocrisy, their pride, their injustice. And he warns his followers of their wicked ways. And he said this in this teaching. He said, be aware of the scribes who like to walk in long robes and like greeting and greetings in the marketplace. And to have the best seats in the synagogues. In the places of honor at feast. Look out for these guys. They're jockeying for the best seats. The best positions. They they like to be greeted and recognized. By people. Verse 40. He said. Who devour widows houses. Okay. That's the vulnerable. And in the Old Testament. It's very clear. God's heart. For the orphan. And the widow, God is a defender of the orphan and the widow. And there are a number of passages in the law and in the prophets that speak to the care and the protection of the poor and the widow. And keep in mind that they didn't have social security in in a lot of the systems that we have that help protect and provide and, and offer a measure of shelter to orphans and widows. But God had commanded that his people would care for them and not abuse them. And these religious leaders were doing the very opposite of what they should have been doing when it came to the vulnerable amongst them. Jesus said they devour widows' houses. Okay, this reminds me of some of the charlatans that we have in our day who abuse Widows by getting them to send in some money and they'll send a handkerchief or send a uh, anointing oil or some kind of some kind of thing like that to take advantage of and make money off of widows. And that for pretense, they make long prayers and Jesus says they will receive greater condemnation. So he condemned. Their conduct. He condemned their motives. He condemned them. Jesus condemned them for their hypocrisy. In Mark or Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus, we see a more extensive condemnation and uh, rebuke and warning to the scribes and the Pharisees. If you, if you want to read it this week, I'm going to highlight a few things from here. But he calls them hypocrites a number of times. They they, they had pretense. They appeared to be spiritual. Their religion was mostly outward. Okay? They washed the outside of the cup. Now, this this is a good warning for us. Be aware of majoring on external religion and piety. God wants our hearts. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So in Matthew 23, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. He affirmed their authority. Do whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach and do not practice. This is hypocrisy. They said one thing and did another thing. They We're pretenders, pretenders to be keepers of the law, pretenders to to be those who champion God's cause in the world. Jesus condemned them for their harshness. Look in verse 4, Matthew 23, verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. Okay, these guys were harsh, severe. This is what legalistic religion does to people. It crushes the weak, the faint. Its said of Jesus that he wouldn't quench a smoking flax or crush a bruised weed. Jesus described his heart as gentle and lowly. And his message to those who've been crushed by religion and crushed by religious hypocrites who just want to condemn and point the finger, Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And in it, you will find rest for your soul. And these guys were the opposite. They were harsh. They were heavy. They were finger pointers. And yet they had that same condemnation coming back at them multiplied. Jesus condemned them for their motivation for recognition. Verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Jesus is calling out their motive. The the discerner of hearts is able to see the motives of man. Why do you do what you do? Let me tell you why these guys did what they did, Jesus said. To be seen by people. It's obvious. They prayed long prayers. They they wanted people, they wanted more for people to see them praying rather than for God to hear them praying. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray, Don't pray these long prayers with vain repetitions that make you look spiritual because you're praying long and and you have lots of words to say. But keep it simple, short and sweet, and go into the secret place where your Father sees you. He will hear you. He will reward you openly when you pray like that. Now, Jesus isn't opposed to corporate prayer meetings but he is opposed to those who cloak their, their religiosity, their cloak their their, their their pride, and cloak their, their ego in trying to get strokes up towards their pride through pretense of looking spiritual. Again, he wants our hearts. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and, and they love being called rabbi by others in john's gospel he said that they loved the praises of men more than the praises of god okay they cared more about what people think thought rather than what god thought and this is a good warning for us These are negative examples for us to learn from because we can be susceptible to this wickedness as well. And we must guard our hearts. And we'll talk a little bit about how to do that here shortly. Jesus also condemned them for being a stumbling block to others. Verse 13, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And lastly, Jesus condemned the religious for majoring on the minors. They majored on the minors. In verse 23 of Matthew 23, he said, "Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law: justice and mercy." And faithfulness. These you ought not to. These you ought to have done. Without neglecting the others. You blind guides. Straining out a gnat. And swallowing a camel. Now Jesus says. You know. You're tithing. Keep doing that. That's a good thing. But don't. Don't neglect the weightier matters of the law. Justice Mercy and faithfulness. One of the issues of injustice, as Jesus has mentioned, was they devour widows' houses. They don't care for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable as they ought, as the law had instructed them to. They didn't love their neighbor as themselves, as we looked at last week. The, the great commandment, the greatest commandment in the second. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. They didn't do those two things. And Mark's, or I believe Luke's account of this, he says you neglect uh, justice and, and the love of God. Justice and the love of God is weightier matters of the law. They majored on the minors. God forbid that we should do that. That we should be experts in the minor things, the things that are smaller in comparison to the majors and the weightier things. That God cares most about. As we talked about last week. When it's all said and done. What matters most. Is did we love God. And did we love people. Let's major on that. At City Church. We're going to major on that. We're committed to majoring on that. And in contrast. Jesus taught humility and service. Okay. In in Matthew 23. 8 through 12. He said. The greatest among you. Shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself. Will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted Jesus own life is a major contrast to what he just rebuked in the religious leaders of his day. He came to serve and not be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. he didn't exalt himself. he allowed his father to exalt him. He humbled himself. Became obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. And the father exalted him. Giving him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. That Christ is Lord. And so let's let's finish this, this with a positive note. We've looked at Jesus' condemnation for the religious leaders. But let's look at Jesus' Jesus's commendation. His commending. Of the poor widow. She's a contrast. She, Her life. And her offering. Her act of worship. Is a contrast. To the pretense. Of the religious leaders. Of Jesus's day. And so. Verse 43. He called his disciples to him. And said to him. This poor widow. So actually let me. Just mentioned here a couple of verses before this, Jesus goes in to where the offering was being made, and they had these um, these horns, and they had these different receptacles where people would come and bring their offering to the Lord. Okay, their tithes and their offerings, right? And they had coins back then. And and, and when they put their offerings inside. The offering containers, if they had a lot of coins, it made a lot of noise so when somebody a rich person went up and they dropped their multiple coins in in the the container it, it def it's making noise okay going down right and then there's this this little poor widow. Who probably doesn't want anybody to see her at all. I could imagine she might have even been embarrassed if anybody knew how much she was giving. You ever felt like that? <laughs> you ever, you ever had the thought like, what's my, my two, my two cents? That's, I, this is probably where we got the phrase. Let me, let me share with you my two cents, right? She brought her two cents <laughs> as an offering to the Lord. And Jesus is sitting there. He's watching this. The Lord, the discerner of hearts, the one who sees human hearts and he sees the motive of hearts, the one who's going to evaluate our lives on judgment day and reward us according to what we've done, whether good or evil. And many things that we thought we might be rewarded for could be wood, hay and stubble and burn up through the fire and others that we that we didn't think were so great they may be greatly rewarded when we see Jesus because he's the only one that saw him. And our motive was to honor him. And so this poor widow, she goes up and Jesus says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the offering box. Everyone else is making a lot of noise with their offering. They're giving a lot. But this woman here has given more. Now, here's another one of those kingdom paradoxes. And I'm sure the disciples were scratching their heads once again. Like, how could this woman have given more than everyone else? Okay, explain, Jesus. Um, It doesn't say that they asked for that. But Jesus calls that out. Jesus is watching. For all have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. And all that she has to live on. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Mark, said that in contrast to the scribes, pride and hypocrisy stands this woman who has sacrificed out of her life to honor God. Okay? And so what may have seemed like a big donation by all these rich people who were bringing them in, It was really a small donation in God's eyes. But what may have seemed like a really small thing that this woman was doing to many, to the natural eye, was a really big thing in God's eyes. Because God looks at the heart. He looks at the motive. John Stott says that her total devotion, which no one but Jesus would have realized is the exact opposite of the Jewish leader's religion. All show no heart. Her total devotion, which no one but Jesus would have realized, is the exact opposite of the Jewish, Jewish leader's religion. All showed no heart. And so what a beautiful example. And I love how Jesus does this. This is... As Jesus described, the first shall be last, and the last will be first. This is the kingdom paradox, that the way up is down. Okay, We exalt ourselves, we get humbled, but if we humble ourselves, we get exalted. And so let's close in just a couple points of application here. First, aim to become intimately and accurately acquainted with the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? Jesus revealed that the Messiah was both human and divine. Aim to become intimately and accurately acquainted with the Jesus of the Bible. Let us not settle for Jesus merely being a good teacher or being a good example. He became our sacrifice. The sacrifice for our sins. As the son of God. C.S. Lewis put it like this in his book Mere Christianity. He said I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. You can shut him up for a fool. You could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is Lord. Let us embrace that. Let us believe that. Let us proclaim that. Let us live like that is so. And let's be real with ourselves and real with others by confronting any tendency to appear better than you really are. Be real. Or as they say, keep it real. Man, dude, bro, keep it real. Be real with yourself and be real with God. Don't appear to be better than you really are. Paul in Romans 12 puts it like this. He says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. I mean, how many people are more committed to appearing loving than they are to actually being genuinely loving towards others? How many... Put on a smile externally and 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 show some kind of external um niceness but but lack internal love for people that are different than them, different color, different background, different age group, different social class. here at city church, we're committed to loving across all those differences. Okay, and loving and embracing people with all their brokenness and all their sin because none of us are okay And it's okay to not be okay But it's not okay to stay that way Jesus does change us when we come to know him and encounter him But we love people as they are just like jesus did it's interesting how jesus had his his most severe words not towards the rebellious Uh, The rebellious partiers, the rebellious tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes. Now he called them to repent too, but he didn't have his most severe words to them. His most severe words were towards the religious community who cloaked their narcissism with with religious guys. And he called them out and he condemned them for being a stumbling block, for being hypocrite. And so we would do well to acknowledge ourselves to be sinners in need of a savior and stop trying to pretend to be better than we are and stop trying to use fig leaves to cover up Our brokenness and our nakedness. The righteousness of Jesus clothes the Christian who comes to him in faith. We're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. The gospel frees us up to be real with ourselves, real with others, and real with God. Because he sees it all anyways. And we're loved and accepted by God. Not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. We call this grace, and it is amazing grace. And when we get it, it changes us from the inside out. And a part of that change is that we're able to be real with God and others instead of acting like we don't need that grace because we do continually need mercy and grace. Live with a greater awareness that God sees you rather than having a preoccupation with eye services, people-pleasers. The Lord is the discerner of hearts. He saw the hearts of every religious leader who was putting on a show, and he saw the heart of this precious, poor widow who brought a pleasing sacrifice to God. And so live with that awareness that God's eyes are in every place, watching the good and the evil. Live with that awareness that God sees you and his eyes on you are more important than any other human eye. And when you feel a temptation to try to get that recognition for certain people to see you because it feels good, push back on that temptation. When you give into it, confess it as sin. Confess it for what it is. People pleasing. The Pharisees loved this. The praises of men rather than the glory and the praise of God. And so we want to do what we do as unto him and not unto to man. And lastly, give sacrificially to God and to others by realizing that the quality of life isn't measured by what you possess and that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus said this in Luke twelve fifteen. Life does not consist person owned life isn't measured the quality of our life is not measured by how much stuff we have it's not measured by the the phrase get all the toys you can get and before you die right accumulate all the toys you can get before you die that's not the good life according to jesus if it was jesus would have had it all but he lived a life of poverty and he lived the fullest life because life, the quality of life is not measured by what we have. Okay? If we, those who really believe that are freed up to give generously, to be joyfully generous, which is one of our values here. Those who really believe that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive are freed up to hold their stuff open-handed. And if it's taken away... That person can say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. May we have our hearts in that place. And may we have that response if God bring us to that Job-like experience. And so let's pray. Lord, you are the one who searches the heart knows the heart, sees our hearts, and we confess that oftentimes we we don't fully understand what's going on in our own hearts. As David prayed, who can discern his own errors, keep me from presumptuous sins. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, we confess our need for your help. Would you cleanse our hearts? Enable us to love you well, to love others well. Enable us by your spirit, as Paul prayed, to grasp the depth and the width and the height of your love. And let your love come in and fill every crevice of our hearts. Every room in our lives. May Christ dwell and occupy every room. May love permeate. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us where we we have cared more about what people think rather than what you think. Lead us into your way. Lead us into your truth. And teach us to do your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yes, Lord. You are worthy. Let me just mention one last thing that I forgot to mention. At the end of Matthew 23, we see Jesus weep over Jerusalem. We see his heart after he gave all his woes to the religious community that was pretending he wept. His heart broke for those who rejected divine authority, God's heart, God's way, God's will, God's word. And he wept over Jerusalem, the ones who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to them. And so just know that that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus who's gentle and lowly, who's full of grace and truth. He's not a pushover. He will confront sin and he will punish sin. But he died for our sin and he took the condemnation that we all deserve in our place took death row for you and me and that's where we see the mercy and the justice of god kiss and meet at the cross so may the lord bless you may the lord keep you may the lord be gracious to you may the lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and may he give you